From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Everyday tasks, showering, reading, light exercise, become monumental for people with long COVID. I was out in my garden trying to clear out the old plants, and I swear to God, I almost passed out. Long haulers say it's unlike anything they've experienced. It was worse than being pregnant. (laughs) A major adjustment not just for patients, but for providers scrambling to learn all they can about a still mysterious condition. You're looking at half a million or more Coloradans that could be experiencing symptoms after COVID that are prolonged. A special Colorado Matters today as Coloradans with unrelenting symptoms share their experiences and ask questions of a primary care physician in our studio who's become a long COVID expert, plus two researchers on the cutting edge. What you get on a daily basis from Colorado Public Radio is thanks in large part to an ever-growing and dedicated community of support. As a member, you do more than listen. You help fund CPR. Thank you. This is a special Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Ryan Warner. A big question for people with symptoms of long COVID is when will I feel good again? I have a lot of trouble reading now especially anything that's an article longer than maybe a paragraph. Simple as it sounds, it's brain fog. You're just confused and foggy. Taking a shower would fatigue me to the point where I had to take a nap for an hour afterwards. I started having heart palpitations, what I thought was a heart attack. I was an avid runner. I ran the Boulder Boulder every year, and it is excruciatingly hard for me to run now. Even to this day, Doctors will say, well, it's all in your head, or this or that. I visualize myself jumping out of bed and happy and grabbing my climbing gear. The voices of Coloradans Clarence Troutman, William Thatch, Becky Harris, Gary Hill, David Micklin, and Deanne Mason. Three of those long haulers will spend more time with us today answering our questions and posing some of their own to Dr. Boris Bayerman. He's a primary care physician with Kaiser Permanente, who in the last three years has become an expert on long COVID. Hi, doctor. Hi, good morning. And indeed, Clarence Troutman of Denver is also with us, Becky Harris of Broomfield and Deanne Mason of Louisville. But first off, doctor, you've become a go-to person for other Kaiser physicians seeking answers about long COVID. Uh, What prompted you to take on this role? Yeah, thanks, Ryan. Um, Beginning in uh, 2021, when we were seeing more and more patients in primary care at Kaiser Permanente with long COVID, really began asking myself the question of what is going on? This just looked so different from what we typically see after viral infections. And I was digging for more answers. Um, I recall specifically a patient, a young woman uh, in healthcare that came in with debilitating migraines that were going on daily with no prior history of migraines. And it, I, I saw how much distress she was in and didn't have a clear answer. And so that kind of prompted the journey. Mm. Uh, migraines, one manifestation. We're going to hear many other side effects of long COVID. I think what is so remarkable about this disease is how many different systems it seems to affect. Do you think that's true? Exactly. Yeah, the 
the havoc and the effect on the body that COVID has is pretty incredible. Not just lungs. Exactly. Yeah, well beyond lungs, including the neurological, cardiovascular system, mental health, and the social factors as well. Kaiser has more than half a million members in Colorado. Can you say how common it is for doctors in your system to see patients with symptoms of long COVID? It's a good question. It's hard to know for sure, um, just because it varies from uh, location to location. You know, the varies with the surges that we have. So it's hard to know for sure right now. Let me ask this. Is this common for family doctors to be seeing maybe on the daily people who are speaking up about long COVID? It is common. Um, you know, it may not be daily, but it's certainly um, a term that we hear about regularly. And most primary care physicians have likely experienced uh, patients with long COVID. Okay. So this uh, is seen throughout offices around Colorado for sure. So Clarence, in the introduction, we heard that you have trouble reading longer articles. That's one symptom for you. How soon after having COVID did you notice that difficulty? Um, for me personally, it took maybe six months or so after. Um, I had been down with it for so long. My case was so severe. You were hospitalized, correct? Yeah, for two months. Yeah. So uh, about a month in ICU, it was split in half, a month in ICU and then a month in rehab after that. So it wasn't until maybe six months after I got home that I realized that I was having trouble with the brain fog and the reading, things like that. So this was a slow reveal to some extent. Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the other symptoms were so severe that I think I kind of concentrated on them first before I even tried to read or exercise, things like that. What were some of the other symptoms and what else has lingered for you? Uh, the fatigue, for one. Um, still having trouble with my lungs. I guess my technical diagnosis was uh, pulmonary fibrosis. So that cuts down on my ability to kind of recover after any kind of uh, strenuous activity. Do you have a formal, official, long COVID diagnosis? Is that something that your doctor said, you have this? Um, no, other than to say that that was it. I mean, long-term COVID, yeah, a long hauler, I guess, is what they were calling us at the time. Okay, they've used that term with you. Yes. Um, so doctor, is that a specific diagnosis? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah. You, you have long COVID is something you would tell a patient. Yeah, correct. Um, that's the term that we use um, in, you know, in lay press and um, in the community. There is a uh, medical term that we um, use in the United States, post-COVID conditions or post-acute sequelae of COVID. Okay. Um, and long COVID is that umbrella term. All right. Uh, Deanne, you're a longtime ER nurse at Children's Hospital in Aurora. And uh, just a few minutes ago, we heard about your desire to grab your climbing gear again. <laughs> How has COVID prevented you from doing that? Um, I, I keep uh, having rebounds and relapses of symptoms. And... Um, I have like migraines. I also have what's called POTS, which is the fast heart rate. When I stand up, it jumps up like 30, 50 beats. Makes me feel like I'm running a marathon when all I'm doing is walking up the stairs. Um, and then 
the migraines, the ear ringing, and the um, persistent nausea and vomiting. So it's it's pretty limiting, and I'm in the thick of it right now, and um, not able to work, which um, which is a bummer because I do love mm. my job and my coworkers. It sounds like you have progress and then setbacks. Like it's a bit of a roller coaster. Yeah, last week I was feeling seventy percent of myself and uh, planned to head back to work in some modified um, job. And last Thursday it hit again, and I think I might have overexerted myself, but it's only in hindsight that you know when you've done too much. Hmm. And um, all the symptoms came back again, and and I'm just waiting to see when it starts to ease up a bit. That is so frustrating because when when you're on the path to getting better, what, what, I mean, there's just inherent hope in that, and then to have the setback just must be so frustrating. It's that's uh, it's absolutely frustrating. It's hard to stay positive, and it's hard to meditate enough to um, to stay positive and to stay focused, and um, and to know that hopefully this isn't forever. Becky Harris is also in healthcare, a certified nurse midwife, and earlier she referenced the exhaustion of merely taking a shower, uh, also invoking her love of running. Uh, Becky, you had COVID, I think, in summer 2021. What, I did. What is better now and what's not getting better? Most of my symptoms actually really have improved. I had quite a bit of brain fog, headaches, um, balance issues at the beginning, and those have pretty much resolved. My main symptom right now is fatigue. The fatigue seems to be pretty universal, doctor. Do you think that's true? Yeah, just as I'm hearing this, the fatigue is very real. This is one of the most common things that we see. And you said earlier that there are manifestations of COVID that feel different from other viruses. What about long COVID seems to look different from other viral infections? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. Uh, one of the things with long COVID is kind of what Deanne mentioned, that roller coaster we see. You know, sometimes people come out of their illness, they recover mostly or, you know, close to baseline. And then months later, boom, we see that suddenly they start developing symptoms, which is really I think one of the uh, different features. The other thing is just how long it takes for people to sometimes recover after their initial uh, infection. Whereas with most viral illnesses, we see after you know a couple of weeks that people get back to their baseline. I'm very eager to ask from each of our panelists, what has brought you help? So maybe there is something that has eased your symptoms, something that you've come to rely on. Clarence, what have you done that has worked? Um, low impact exercising, okay. mainly just walking, um, a lot of medications involved. Uh, one of the other symptoms I've experienced is neuropathy. I've never had that before in my life until this happened. Uh, in the beginning, it was pretty severe. So you might lose sensation or you might feel a burning sensation. Exactly. Okay. Like somebody's got a match on your hands or feet or kind of sticking pins in it. I mean, it just burns like heck. But uh, 
the medication for that seems to help. And that seems to have subsided just a little bit because it was pretty severe in the beginning and happened quite frequently. But now it's not as often. But when it does happen, it's pretty bad. And you invoked light exercise. So I imagine that's been a way you've been able to build back your strength and yet not lose too much of it by exhausting yourself. That's it, exactly. Okay. Deanne Mason of Louisville, what has worked for you? Um, <laughs> it's hard to say. Last week, if you would have asked me, I would have said um, like floor exercises, like very light stretching, light movement in yoga. And now with this setback, I'm happy to take that all away and and figure out what caused the rebound. But um, acupuncture has also helped with my mood because um, it's hard not to get um, depressed or sad or anxious about all the symptoms and not knowing when they'll go away mm -hmm. or if they will come back. And so that's helped and that's also helped with um, some of the vomiting spells. I go about once a week to my acupuncturist. I think you said meditation earlier too, is that right? Yeah, I've, I've been meditating um, like three times a day, um, just trying to calm my whole system down, assuming that this is like an overcompensating sympathetic nervous system response. I'm not exactly sure, but I'm like trying to calm the this viral beast inside of me is what it feels like, but hmm. it keeps kind of zapping my Zen. So um, yes, I'm trying meditation. I do get brief relief from it. I think what I hear you saying is that you are dealing both with the physical and the psychological effects of this condition. Um, Becky Harris of Broomfield, what has worked for you? I did a specialized type of physical therapy, therapy called vestibular physical therapy that helped more than anything else. And give me an example of an exercise you did. So the vestibular system is something that helps with our balance. So I did a lot of balance exercising, like standing on unstable surfaces or marching or throwing balls back and forth, things that would help my balance system figure out where it was in space again, because I had so much dizziness. It was also very helpful for the headaches that I was having. Dr. Behrman, when we talk about treating long COVID, it seems to me that that's an awfully broad category of treatments, right? Because it might be about addressing migraines, but maybe it's about addressing the fatigue. Uh, th this is kind of a big question, but mm -hmm. what is treatment of long COVID look like? Is it just throwing everything you can at the wall and seeing what sticks at this point? That's a great question. These are the things I ask myself when I interact with patients with long COVID. Um, treating long COVID has to be a holistic approach. You have to look at the whole person, mind, body, and spirit is what I you know usually say. And um, and also try to get a sense of you know what impact it's having on daily functioning, relationships, work, things like that. And it is addressing, looking at each system as a separate component, but uh -huh. also trying to figure out if they're interconnected. Because one thing we see with long COVID is there are also clusters of symptoms that 
people with, for example, GI symptoms, gastrointestinal symptoms may also have neurological symptoms and um, mental health effects. So think about, well, how is one interplaying with the other? Gosh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And we've learned so much lately about the connection between the gut, Mm -hmm. gut health and other systems. But you're saying that there might be this uh, this connection between digestive and neurological. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah, and so you you uh, you both have to look at systems separately, but then also interconnectedly. Exactly. Okay. Three Coloradans with long haul symptoms are with us: Clarence Troutman of Denver, Becky Harris, who lives in Broomfield, and Deanne Mason of Louisville. And I'm very curious to know what mysteries of this disease they want answers to. So I'm going to turn things over to them to pose questions to Dr. Boris Bayerman. He's a primary care physician who's become something of a COVID expert, especially long COVID, at Kaiser Permanente. Okay, Clarence, let's have you start with a question to the doctor. Oh, sure. Um, Doc, I'd like to know if there's been any uh, progress made as far as the research into seeing who might be more susceptible to long-term COVID or severe COVID Mm. as opposed to uh, people who just get it and it just seems Mm -hmm. like a cold and they're over it in a week. Yeah, have patterns emerged. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, There does seem to be an association um, of increased uh, frequency of long COVID in women. Um, And also there are certain age groups that we see it uh, more prevalent in, like from around the 40s up to the 50s and 60s. and we do say, see that there's a disparity among uh, certain populations like uh, Hispanics and African-Americans. Now, the question of crisis is whether there's correlation or causation there, right? Mm-hmm. Can, can you speak to why any of those demographics might be adversely affected or is it? too early. Yeah, it, it's hard to say. I think it, it is too early and we you know, a little bit more research and time to see what we discover. Deanne, any questions for the doctor? Yeah, I was just going to expand on um, when you talked about the brain and the gut connection. And since I'm still experiencing all my um, symptoms right now, what I find interesting is that if my nausea and my fatigue and my brain fog are reduced, I actually feel positive and happy, and I don't have all those emotions. Have you heard of other patients talking about that type of a connection? Um, to some degree. I I think from what I'm hearing, one of the things is if those symptoms, and those are very unpleasant symptoms, if they're better, you're going to feel better. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I have... Um, talk to patients, you know, without experience, like these clusters of symptoms. um, And once those are improved, they feel better. Is depression common among long haulers? Is that a word you're using in these circles, doctor? Yes. um, We see depression and anxiety and, you know, symptoms that fall into those diagnoses or categories. And Chris, one is left to wonder, is that an actual function of the virus? Is it changing brain chemistry or is that the natural uh, course of things if you are experiencing so many setbacks? Can can you answer whether it's one or the other? Uh, exactly what you said. It's I, I, 
I think it, it's a combination. Uh-huh. If you're feeling very poorly physically, it's going to affect your mental health. But also there is a question, you know, how much is the virus affecting the neurological function? Becky, what questions do you have? And we'll, we'll keep going in round robin so it doesn't have to be just the one. Well, I have a question. Is there any particular prescription medications that have been found to be helpful with long COVID? Thanks. Uh, That's a good question. There have been many medications that have been used. Um, There's still a lot of research going on to learn if those medications are you know, have clinically significant effects, more rigorous trials to make sure that they're safe, they have, you know, improved outcomes. But yes, there are various medications that have been repurposed. Give, well, give us an yeah. example of one, because yeah. you say repurposed, and uh-huh. so this sounds like it's been trial and error, Dr. Behrman. Yes, and, and some of these medications are used in other conditions that are similar. So, for example, we use um, SNRIs, a type of, uh, quote, antidepressant medication for that we use for migraines, for sleep, for mood. And we've been using that those types of medications for long COVID symptoms like migraines, sleep issues, mood well, issues. SSRIs, you're saying? S- SNRIs. Very S-N-R-I's. Yeah. Okay, I'm less familiar uh, with those. But yeah, very similar. Okay. Yeah. And those are used to treat migraines? Mm-hmm. At, yeah, at times we use those for migraines, and so people with long COVID experiencing uh, persistent headaches, for example, that might be a good choice of medication at times. Okay, let's go back around. Clarence, another question? Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious about the, the vaccination status overall of most people. Are we still seeing kind of a large number of people choosing to get vaccinated, as far as you know? In in general, um, so as far as vaccinations for long COVID, yes, yes, yeah. So we, you know, there is uh, evidence that suggests that um, first of all, people who are vaccinated may have lower risk of developing long COVID. Oh. So I do encourage people to get vaccinated, partly for that reason. Also, uh, vaccination may help improve symptoms for some people with long COVID. Interestingly. Well, this is a personal medical question, so I want to make clear to our guests that you are within your rights to say, I don't want to answer that. Clarence, were you vaccinated? Yes. You were. All right. Deanne, do you care to share whether you were? Yeah, I was one of the first people to get vaccinated um, because I was a healthcare worker. So I've I've actually had five um, boosters or five doses. Okay. And Becky, uh, to the extent you're comfortable, do you want to share your status? Yes. I was also one of the earliest people vaccinated and I got COVID in August of 2021, right before the first booster came out. Uh Uh-huh. And of course, doctor, there may be folks listening who say, well, these are all long haulers and they were all vaccinated. Vaccinations then don't offer protection. That is not the case. And you're saying that outcomes could be worse if someone is unvaccinated, I think. Correct. Can you, uh, Dr. Behrman, perhaps uh, put this into words, in your own words for me. This strikes me as an aspect of healthcare that may reverberate for generations. 
I mean, is this going to have to get infused into medical schools, into retraining for doctors? Give us a sense of what this means for healthcare to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a really great thought. I do think that this is something that we'll be seeing for years and decades to come. Um, you know, from what we know for from similar conditions like chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalitis, we know that people experience symptoms for their entire lifetime or many years. And I do think that starting with early integration of you know, long-term education uh, is very important. Is chronic fatigue syndrome something that has been a proxy for long COVID? Yeah, in a way, yeah, we've uh, learned a lot. We we think that long COVID is very similar, or it could be part of a chronic fatigue syndrome. It's hard to know for sure, uh-huh. but we've learned a lot about long COVID based on what we know about chronic fatigue syndrome. All right. We are speaking with three long haulers in Colorado, Clarence Troutman of Denver, Becky Harris of Broomfield, and Deanne Mason of Louisville. And we've been asking questions together of Dr. Boris Bayerman, who is a long COVID expert at Kaiser Permanente. Clarence, I want to put a finer point on your point about uh, vaccinations. You got COVID quite early, correct? I did. So that was before vaccines were available. Yes. And then you made sure to be vaccinated when those arrived. Yes. Okay. Thanks for putting a finer point on that for us. And I want to give Becky Harris and Deanne Mason one last chance to ask questions of Dr. Behrman. You also don't have to if you don't have them. Uh, Becky, anything else you'd like to know? I, the only other question I had for Dr. Behrman is if there is any knowledge about why women seem to be more prone to this? Is there maybe a hormonal factor that plays into it? That's a really good question. It's not for certain why women uh, may be more at risk of having long COVID. One of the um, theories is that there's autoimmunity um, after COVID and women have a more robust immune system. And so the uh, autoimmune or immune response may be stronger and potentially increasing uh, the symptoms. Deanne? Yeah, I actually have a question about, um, like I know there's long COVID clinics and they are booked up um, for months out. Do you hear of more providers and specialists coming together and creating like a a comprehensive like care team to see more patients that have long COVID? Yeah, and the, there certainly are clinics and um, there are a few in Colorado here. Um, you know, it kind of depends on the setup of the system and the availability of specialists, um, you know, on how that type of collaboration can be made, but definitely encouraged. It sounds uh, to me, Deanne, like you're on a waiting list maybe. Yeah, I, I'm thankful that I had some healthcare knowledge and I just started finding specialists um, because the long COVID clinic at UC Health was booked out um, for months. Um, but I, I am being seen by, um, by doctors and everything. I was just wondering if there will be more available for people um, under different insurances and things like that. Because I know a lot of the primary care doctors are... Um, the ones who are having to see a lot of these patients and learn as they go along. Yeah, that, that's right. You know, I I think the 
best thing that a primary care provider can do is try to collaborate and be that um, connecting point uh, for their patient, collaborate with specialists and uh, help um, you know get the services that are needed. And it's specialists, plural, you know, where you might yeah. go to your family doctor, you know, I'm going to see a dermatologist this week. You know, it's one specialist every couple of months that I might need. But we're talking about involving potentially many. And so I'd like to know from each of you what your experience has been in the healthcare system. Um, Clarence Troutman, are you believed when you talk to doctors? First off, to the, uh, when I talk to doctors, yes, you are okay. Yeah, what's been your experience navigating the healthcare system? Is are you? Is this a financial hardship? Um, no, um, not at all financially. Um, it's been overall pretty smooth. I'm grateful um, to hear it. Yeah, the only uh, problem I really had was being forced to retire from my job because the symptoms lasted so long. So that was kind of an issue. But other than that, everything's been great. I've gotten the care I needed and everything else. <laughs> other so. than that, everything's <laughs> been great. Yeah, That's pretty big in life. Good, so. uh, Deanne, what has been your experience navigating the healthcare system and the insurance System. I suppose we could dedicate another hour to that, but um, all the specialists I've seen, anywhere from like um, cardiology and gastroenterology and all those, everybody's been um, pretty understanding, and um, they're looking for things that they can fix or give a met, you know, give medicine for. Like, um, and when it just turns up that it's long haul symptoms and we don't know exactly what will make this better except time. Um, they've been they've been very understanding. It's I've never felt like I've been brushed off or or anything like that. Has this been a financial hardship? Not yet. <laughs> um, I'm still I came out of short term disability, so I was still covered by my employer. Um, no, I not yet it's not but what i do worry about is my case even though i wasn't hospitalized it's still considered um you know counted in the mild covid numbers um even though i've been to so many doctors and then to the er a bunch of times and i just i kind of wish that at you know the federal government will look at these um numbers differently instead of just hospitalizations and cases or deaths mm but also those who are experiencing more long-haul symptoms and debilitating symptoms. I also think getting a better picture of that would help the public understand the difficulty of this disease. And Becky, how have you navigated healthcare? Well, difficult with difficulty? With a little difficulty. I have an absolutely amazing primary care doctor who believed me from day one and has put in so much work coordinating care with all the different specialties that I have seen. She has just been amazing. Now, unfortunately, not all doctors are like that because the doctors who have reviewed my short-term disability claims um, have denied my claims every time. My goodness. That must just add another level of stress. It was devastating, the first denial that I got. Dr. Bayerman, I hate to bring up the notion of COVID reinfection, but in my own circles, I've got friends and colleagues who are getting COVID now a second or a third time. 
how do we think of long COVID, the risks of it, when we're talking about reinfection? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, well, we think that reinfection for people who already have long COVID may make it worse. So that's again where vaccination, you know, is strongly recommended, you know, to and taking measures to prevent second uh, inf- and third infections. Um, but yeah, reinfections can uh, potentially make things worse. Before we let you go, what is the mystery you most hope to crack? What is the thing that vexes you each day? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the main thing is having a an effective treatment where we can, you know, more confidently tell people that, you know, this works well, this will ideally help you improve your symptoms. So I think treatment modalities uh, long-term. And lastly, when patients say, Dr. Behrman, how long is this gonna last? What do you tell them? That's a great question. That's the question I ask as well, and we don't know for sure. Um, I try to be hopeful and provide as much support as possible to help get through what's going on. But you don't have the ability to answer with a concrete number of months or years. That is Dr. Boris Bayerman, primary care physician at Kaiser Permanente, who's also an expert in long COVID, a condition that Coloradans Clarence Troutman, Becky Harris, and Deanne Mason are all contending with. We're grateful for your time. All right, on to our conversation with two long COVID researchers after a break. What are we learning? And indeed, what are the biggest mysteries to crack? This is a special edition of Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Lucy Womack, and I donated my camper van to CPR. We'd bought it when we were very young and very poor, but since then it had become a bit of a collector's item. And rather than go to the hard work of finding someone to buy it, we thought it would be better to donate it. I mean, when you're that attached to a vehicle, even though it's an inanimate object, you kind of just don't want to sell it to a random person. So donating to a resource that we depend greatly on helped a lot. It was easy to do at CPR.org. Most people who get COVID feel better in a week or so, but it's become clear that for many, symptoms linger or new ones crop up. Extreme fatigue, shortness of breath, brain fog, heart and lung issues. We've captured some personal stories to this point. Now, in our special show, two Colorado doctors who are on the cutting edge of long COVID science. Dr. Sarah Jolly is with the Colorado School of Medicine and directs the UC Health Post-COVID Clinic. That's on the CU Anschutz Medical Campus. Doctor, thanks for being with us. Thank you. And Dr. Irina Petraki is with National Jewish Health in Denver, a leading respiratory hospital. She and her colleagues are researching possible causes of long COVID symptoms. And Dr. Petraki, thank you for your time. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Jolly, an early iteration of your post-COVID clinic began in March 2020. So that's like just after the virus arrived in Colorado. And at the time, you anticipated seeing a lot of folks who'd contracted COVID, been in the ICU, and then would need outpatient care. But how did this evolve into treating others who were never hospitalized? 
Yeah, I think we started to see in the couple months after the initial pandemic that there were patients who were having long-term symptoms, who were reporting long-term fatigue, long-term shortness of breath, many of the things that your prior guests were just talking about, who had never been hospitalized but were quite sick. And so we recognized that need and started to get those patients into our clinic as well. Did that surprise you, that people who weren't all that ill were having long-haul symptoms? It surprised us the number of folks that were having symptoms and how many people were fit and active prior to getting sick. It was not our usual um, sicker, older folks that were coming in. It was people that were in their 30s, had been healthy, had been running, similar to what you've heard from your guests today. I know that you've answered this question a million times. Try to answer it for us here. Do you have a good sense of how many people end up with long COVID? And I think the estimates are still um, varied. I think that the recent estimates are somewhere between 20 and 30 percent of individuals with COVID. With COVID. And uh, to harken back to something I brought up a bit earlier with some of the other guests, reinfection poses an entire new concern, does it not? It does. Uh, We have seen changes in long COVID rates with the different variants and with vaccination, as you've heard. And so we think that the prevalence is decreasing over time with Omicron, but people are still at risk if they get reinfection. It's kind of mind boggling, all of the inputs here. I mean, just like all of the things that could be influencing outcomes, uh, the demographics of the particular patient, which version of the virus did they catch? it, it feels a bit overwhelming to me. Does it feel that way to you? Absolutely. And I think that's <laughs> why we need pretty big studies to be able to study all of those variables. Um, and that's what the NIH has tried to do with the Recover study, which we're part of at CU, which is a multi-center um, national study enrolling thousands. They've enrolled over 10,000 patients to date to try to understand some of those different factors. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can talk more about that in a bit. But Dr. Petraki, your research involves exercise tests for people who've had lingering COVID symptoms. What prompted you to go down that path? Yes, uh, we were also surprised initially to see the number of individuals who had relatively mild uh, acute um, COVID who have not been hospitalized or in the ICU who came to uh, see us after seeing several other doctors who could not find anything wrong with them. And um, they were referred to National Jewish um, Health where we have established a center for post-COVID care as well. And um, uh, we set out to dig deeper into why these previously healthy who had a mild viral infection would present to us with fatigue and a complaint of inability to exercise to levels prior, uh, sometimes chest pain and um, just um, not feeling well. Um, and their symptoms were reminiscent of those who had survived severe critical illness, who had been on a ventilator for many weeks, etc. So um, uh, taking advantage of uh, sophisticated testing, uh, as well as collaborations with um, scientists in, um, with expertise in exercise physiology, as I mentioned, we dug deeper and performed uh, cardiopulmonary exercise testing um, that generated uh, 
thousands of data points um, that allowed us to uh, to look into why uh, individuals had this exercise intolerance. Well, and apparently the culprit might be in ourselves uh, and and our relationship to producing energy. Is that right? Correct. So uh, we noted that uh, although the lungs were functioning well on routine testing, the heart was beating well on routine testing, uh, individuals um, accumulated uh, levels of lactate at a much earlier load of exercise, almost like uh, extremely sedentary individuals or individuals with metabolic syndrome, and um, applying different um, uh, calculations to those data, uh, we got a sense that uh, their mitochondria, which are these um, energy factories in our cells, yeah. were um, not really firing on all cylinders and uh, they were not able to keep up with the load of exercise as they should. Do we have mitochondrial treatments? In other words, knowing that, it seems to me, uh, leads you to the question of what medications might help. Absolutely. Uh, so the, um, that finding brought a lot of excitement because the mitochondria had been at the center of research for a variety of conditions. And, um, and the next step would be to uh, figure out what exactly is wrong with the mitochondria. Are there in insufficient numbers? Have been destroyed? Uh, have they been destroyed by the virus? Are there issues with the proximity of the mitochondria or the cells that contain mitochondria? to the supply of energy, to the supply of uh, foodstuff, if you wish, the, the fuel that uh, is used by the mitochondria to generate this energy. And depending on uh, the case um, of what exactly is causing the mitochondria to not work, there could be um, hope for various uh, treatments to address this. And I would also like to briefly mention that the fact that there is recovery in many of these patients, perhaps too late and too slow, also gives us clues as to how reversible or where the problem may be. Aha. Uh -huh. I suppose everything winds up being a clue when you have a, a, a relatively new virus, uh, one that's been around for a while, of course, but that has mutated and continues to do so. Uh, Dr. Jolly, we have heard over and over again this hour about brain fog specifically. Uh, it, it strikes me as one of the most universal symptoms. Do you think, well, first of all, do you think that's true? I think it's very common and pretty distressing. And pretty exactly. Uh, what can, what light can you shed on the brain fog? Yeah, I think we're getting uh, more and more data about the virus effects on the CNS or the central nervous system. Uh -huh. That there's actually um, evidence of persistent virus in some individuals, and that there is some direct inflammation caused by the virus within the central nervous system. So wait, the virus is staying in the body. So there are a number of studies now showing that in some individuals there is viral persistence, that the virus just lingers. And that's not unique to COVID. It happens with some other viruses that we know of, like Epstein-Barr. Um, but this lingering virus may be contributing to some of the up and down of symptoms over time. 
Oh, we heard that described earlier, that you'll have a good week and then a bad week. And that may be little surges of viral activity in the body. Would you still be testing negative at that point? So they've actually shown individuals can have the spike antigen, the virus antigen, for quite a time after. It's not every patient, but some patients with long COVID who have symptoms have evidence of this virus persisting out to six months, nine months after their initial infection. And even as they're testing negative. Uh, Correct, because uh, it's in a low enough level uh that it has to be picked up with some very sensitive assays. But when you do and look harder, you can still identify virus. I see what you're saying. Uh, The sensitive tests are what are uh, detecting virus. Um, In terms of other viruses, are we good at getting the lingering virus to scramble, (laughs) to to leave the body? I don't know. You mentioned Epstein-Barr. Yeah. And so it's something that's being looked at um, in terms of therapies. So one of the questions is whether you could use antiviral therapies in the long COVID patients to reduce that virus, similar to what we do with other persistent viruses like HIV, um, to actually lessen symptoms over time. And so that's something that the NIH is actually going to likely be studying as a therapy. For PASC or post-COVID. Dr. Petraki, what are you most eager to answer? What what keeps you up at night? So based on our previous um, studies, building on it, I'm extremely excited to understand exactly the pathogenesis of this exercise intolerance and shortness of breath and to, un- to uh, figure out whether this uh, defect in energy production actually applies or it's generalizable to other tissues such as the lung and the brain and the heart Um, and um, we're just seeing it in the muscle first because we are stressing the muscle with exercise and um, that um, uh, that's why we elicit this stress response very early So that makes me excited to uh, further get to the biology and mechanism of um, exercise intolerance and to see how generalizable this would be. You know, I think of Colorado as a state of such weekend warriors. Dr. Petraki, are you seeing a lot of patients who struggle with the psychological effects of having lost their ability to hike and to run and to climb? Absolutely, Ryan. And um, since our first publication in American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine uh, saw the light of, uh, of the publication, we were contacted by a lot of athletes who Um, Some of them are professional athletes and some of them are like me and like you mentioned, weekend warriors and uh, our quality of life depends on our ability to be outside and to perform to the best of our um, ability and having a sudden impairment in this and having to cope with it, uh, it's really burdensome and uh, perhaps not as um, well understood by others who have to deal uh, with um, much more severe chronic illnesses, fatal illnesses, but um, for um, healthy individuals being suddenly unhealthy for even a few months, uh, if not a year, it's definitely a blow to the quality of life. Dr. Jolly, is this a frontier in medicine that will meet future generations of patients and doctors? What, what do you see as the, 
the long view of long haul. Yeah, I think it, it's going to persist. And I think it's something we'll be learning about for a very long time. I also hope that what we learn from long COVID can actually translate backwards as well to some of the other post-viral conditions. Uh, your team mentioned chronic fatigue syndrome earlier that have been um poorly understood for many years that hopefully what we learn from long COVID can actually help to explain what patients have been experiencing from other post-viral syndromes. In just a few seconds, if there is someone listening who suspects they may have long COVID, um, what, what would you tell them to do as the first step? I would probably connect them with their primary care doctor to get some initial workup and understand what symptoms are most bothersome. And then there are certainly resources for clinical trials, for trials, and connecting with multi-specialty care. Would you suggest that they reach out um, a month after having COVID, three months? When does it become long? I guess we'll wrap there. We usually say around eight weeks. And so I give a little time for things to recover. If they're not recovering, it's always better to reach out and make sure we understand what's going on. Okay, that two-month window, in other words. Thank you so much for being with us. That's Dr. Sarah Jolly, pulmonary and critical care physician at the University of Colorado School of Medicine, also director of the UC Health Post-COVID Clinic at CU Anschutz. And we also heard from Dr. Irina Petraki, who has a similar role at National Jewish Health in Denver. That is our long COVID special, with thanks to Coloradans who shared their experiences, and to our producers, Andrea Dukakis and Michelle P. Fulcher. I'm Ryan Warner. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. Mm-hmm.